It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Who would you take to be your starting quarterback at Auburn this coming season? You like Casey Thompson or you like Peyton Thorne? Got some intel on that situation as it pertains to what could be on the horizon. The Twitter fingers are going crazy, it sounds like, when it comes to what's going on in Auburn, Alabama. Going to talk about who I would pick. I've already told you, but also going to talk about who it sounds like Auburn may end up picking. Welcome into the Hard Count, the people's college football show for every single thing that you and I both know and love about this beautiful sport. We talk about it here every single day. We are live. And Nick, might I just say, may the full... No, not going to go there. Not going to do that. Close, but no cigar. We got a lot to unpack. The transfer portal is currently closed. Grad transfers excluded. But there's a lot of names that are currently out there. Some that have already found a home. Some that will be looking for a home. Going to talk about some of the headliners there. I already told you the Auburn quarterback situation is very, very curious. Casey Thompson visited last weekend after jumping in the portal. And that was kind of a bang, bang thing where he announces it in the portal. It feels like hours later he announces or it becomes public that he's going to end up at Auburn. Peyton Thorne is sort of hanging in the background now. And I just want to hear from y'all. Who would you rather take as your starting quarterback this coming season? Assuming you were picking between those two. Going to break down that situation. Got some analysis for you as well as some intel. College football every single year has a couple of teams that are what I would like to call risers like teams that sort of come out of nowhere that maybe had a subpar year the year before and then take a two to three win jump. Who are those teams this coming season? Who's, who's the Tennessee this coming season that we didn't see a year ago? I got a team from every single Power Five conference for you that is prepared to make that leap. Have a leap year, if you will. There we go, getting a little bit punny on the show. Also, the Tennessee quarterback situation is in very good position, but... I just want to address the Twitter quarterbacks. You know the ones I'm talking about. The ones that, when it comes to NFL draft time, they sort of speak in a nasally voice and talk about, well, we don't know what he is because he played in Tennessee's quarterback-friendly system. Those are the exact same people that haven't played a down of competitive football and couldn't tell you why it's quarterback-friendly. So we'll break that down. I'll break down why it is quarterback-friendly and what goes into playing that position, in my estimation, at Tennessee. Should be a whole lot of fun. And as y'all know how we do it here, jump into the chat right now. Hit us with your questions. Nick Bragg is off screen right now. I promise you he won't stay that way. And he's going to be fielding your questions. Anything college football. Anything's on the table. Want to hear from y'all. Before we get rolling here, shout out to all the good people listening on podcast. Y'all are hard at work, probably doing expense reports. The example I always throw out there, maybe you're babysitting the kids, throwing in the AirPods for just a minute. We salute you as you're making us a part of your day. Thank you for that. Shout out to everybody tuned in live. Listen, we can't waste too much more time because this transfer portal stuff could end up being dated if we're not quick. All right. So with that being said, the transfer portal continues to roll on. We've got a lot of people that have already found homes, a couple of names that are starting to be linked to potential destinations, and one individual who I think is potentially one of the best playmakers in the portal right now is wide receiver from Michigan State, Keon Coleman. He made it official 
I say official, official via social media that he is going to transfer from Michigan State, would imagine the door is slightly propped open for him to return back to East Lansing, though I wouldn't bet on it. Florida State is getting a visit from him this coming weekend. Now for Keon Coleman, that would just be a great situation for him. You have a quarterback in Jordan Travis who's a proven commodity, a team that's on a mission. But for Florida State, what would that mean for them? Because think about adding Keon Coleman to that already really dynamic offense. You got 10 foot two tall Johnny Wilson on one side. You got Keon Coleman, who's six foot four, 210, 215. So two skyscrapers on the outside for you. You got Jaheim Bell playing tight end. I already mentioned Jordan Travis. This offense would be even more dynamic this coming season. You know how we feel about this kind of situation. The more weapons you have, the more issues you present for the defense because you can't double cover everybody. You can't double Johnny Wilson and double Keon Coleman and then expect Jaheim Bell to be taken care of as well. That's just not a reality you can live in. So if Keon Coleman does end up going to Florida State, this would be an enormous get and ever since the word for Florida State with how dynamic that would make their offense. Also, there is rumblings. Nothing confirmed. There is rumblings that NIL is playing a factor with Keon Coleman. We've already talked about that on this show, so I'm not going to rehash it. But if Florida State were to land Keon Coleman, I don't think it's a wildly irresponsible assumption to make that NIL would then play a factor. How about the NIL flex by Florida State if they do land Keon Coleman? I'm just saying, I think that tells us a lot about the situation that's currently going on in Tallahassee with the resources they have. So good for Keon Coleman taking a visit to Florida State. I'm also keeping an eye on LSU here. Nothing official, but the guy's from Louisiana. Went to high school an hour from Baton Rouge. Keep an eye on LSU, but again, Florida State getting the visit this coming weekend. Make sure to subscribe to the On3 YouTube channel. We talk ball here every single day. The hard count as we are live right now on Tuesdays and Thursdays, but we have videos coming out every single day from this platform, from this show. So thanks in advance for that. Okay, Ben Bryant, quarterback from Cincinnati, put two good years together there, is coming back home to Northwestern. I say back home because, yes, he's from Chicago, Illinois, played his high school ball there. And the reason why this is interesting to me, Ben Bryant, for a minute there, before Casey Thompson jumped in the portal, was setting the quarterback market. He was the best available quarterback. So we were looking around and saying, is Auburn going to take a chance on him? Is Florida going to take a chance on him? Ends up he's going to Northwestern. Big deal for Northwestern. They were 1-11 a season ago. Needless to say, they have to upgrade that roster. It starts at the most important position with the quarterback position. Great situation for Ben Bryant. Got a chair before the music stopped with the transfer portal in terms of schools that need a quarterback and quarterbacks that are available. And he's going to get a great graduate degree too. I mean, just to call a spade a spade here, big time move by Ben Bryant for, uh, for his life. Big brain move by, by Ben Bryant. Feels like they have nowhere to go up, to, to go but up, does Northwestern. So adding Ben Bryant to that mix, at the very least, you elevate the talent in that quarterback room. All right. Now, speaking of talent, Savelle Smalls, a guy that we have told you about a few times on this very program. We told you there's smoke with Colorado. The former five-star edge gave his commitment to Coach Prime. He is heading to Boulder, Colorado. Couple of reasons why this is significant. Anytime you have a kid that is graded a five-star out of high school, it means he has a lot of talent. Didn't necessarily make good on that talent while he was at Washington. It doesn't mean he's not still an extremely viable option for Colorado. And Colorado also, remember what we talked about with them. They need help in the trenches. You got to build it wide. You got to have the big boys on the defensive line if you want to have a chance 
in modern college football. The Pac-12 isn't necessarily the SEC with how critical that is, but if you want to be competitive, the way that Colorado wants to be competitive, you got to be able to have some guys in the trenches get it done for you. So you add a big talent in Savelle Smalls, I expect for him to contribute in a very meaningful way for Colorado this coming season. We'll play a lot of meaningful snaps is essentially what I'm getting at there. Now, R.J. Moten, safety from Michigan, is committed to Florida. He was a four-star player in the 2020 cycle, 10 starts at safety for Michigan in 2022. So R.J. Moten, regardless of how you feel he fit on the depth chart going into 23, this wasn't a guy that was struggling to get on the field or wasn't good enough to ever see the field at Michigan and was just a special teams guy. Started 10 games at safety for a college football playoff caliber team. So R.J. Moten brings experience. He brings an experience at an elite level, having played for Michigan, obviously, in, in the Big Ten. He can help you in run support is, I think, the most intriguing thing about him for Florida. He's about six foot. 223 pounds, uh, he can play in the box for you. You can add him in. And y'all know the SEC, smash mouth, physical brand of football being played week in and week out. You're going to need some dudes in the box to be able to get to where you want to go to. He's got two years of eligibility left. So not, in, not, not a situation where R.J. Moten's just going to be a placeholder for, Michi for, uh, for Florida coming from Michigan. He's going to be a guy that I think you see on the field this coming season and the season after that. So keep an eye on R.J. Moten. He actually had to lose some credits to make this transfer to Florida academically. So that should tell you just about how much he sees Florida as a fit for him and how much he wanted to be a part of what Austin Armstrong is doing with that defense. I'll say this, man. Austin Armstrong, I think he's one of the best recruiters right now, just given his energy, how he presents himself, how young he is, like, if I had any eligibility left, I've told you I'd play for Shane Beamer, but Austin Armstrong is pretty high up on that list as well for guys that I'd want to talk to if I had any eligibility left to go play college ball. So those are all guys that have some smoke around where they could end up. I just gave you three guys that are all committed to different schools. One name that jumped in the portal, and this is not unforeseen, TJ Finley, quarterback who was at Auburn. It looked like for a while they was going to jump in that first portal window, ended up not doing that. And I have a lot of respect for T.J. Finley for sticking it out at Auburn during the spring practice, to be real with you. Because in the day of modern college football, you can jump in the portal tomorrow. Well, not literally tomorrow, unless you're a graduate transfer. You can jump in the portal pretty much whenever you want. And the reality is you, you, you could go the easier route than what T.J. Finley did, is what I'm trying to get at here. Guy with a lot of ability, a guy who never really put it together at Auburn, was named the starter going into this year. And there's a lot of shade probably being thrown at T.J. Finley for what he didn't do at Auburn. But when you look at his body of work, the reality is there is now a quarterback who started in the SEC that's looking for a new home. I don't know who'll take a chance on him. I would love to see him go to the group of five level and just be a force. We'll see what happens there. But T.J. Finley jumping in the portal as we expected, as you expected as well. And we'll keep an eye on where his potential next landing spot could be. But again, I just have respect for the fact that he stuck it out during the spring practice at Auburn and shows competition instead of choosing to just transfer somewhere else during that first window. A lot of respect for TJ Finley for making that decision. All right. Appreciate everybody tuned in live. Go ahead and throw us a like here as we're rolling. Glad to have you all a part of this operation. A lot of new faces, a lot of new names popping up in the chat. Uh, for those of you that are tuned in live, Shoot us a question. Nick Bray keeping the queue right now. We're going to get to those at the end of the show. Okay. So now this is the topic that we had uh, on the thumbnail to get this thing rolling. So I imagine that's why a lot of y'all are here. Auburn. 
finds themselves in a very interesting situation when it comes to the transfer portal quarterback market. Casey Thompson jumps in the portal from Nebraska. Hours later, sounds like he's taking a visit to Auburn, visited Auburn this past weekend. And so we're all kind of waiting with bated breath saying like, all right, is Casey Thompson going to commit to Auburn? Does Auburn have their guy? The week sort of wears on. And then yesterday, it really started to bubble up that Peyton Thorne and Auburn had a lot of buzz around him potentially ending up being the transfer portal quarterback that Auburn likes. So the rumblings, again, I want to be clear, these are rumblings. These are not facts being reported. The rumblings are that Auburn really likes Peyton Thorne. The rumblings are that they prefer Peyton Thorne. That's not confirmed. That's not a report. That's just the rumblings, okay? So with speculation here, we can kind of deduce why that might be. The first reason being he gives you two years, not one. So what does that mean? If Peyton Thorne is your starting quarterback in 2023, he could also potentially, if he chooses to come back, be your starting quarterback in 2024. And it keeps you, if you're Auburn, from having to go back to the portal a second year. Keeps you from having to go back to the portal and do this whole song and dance a second time in a row. With Casey Thompson, he also has the issue of the shoulder surgery he's coming off of. So a guy who gives you one year, and a guy who, if he hits a snag in his health, let's say that shoulder surgery doesn't quite heal or progress the way that you would hope it does, well, then you took a, a shot on a transfer portal quarterback and you got nothing out of it. And you're back to square one playing whoever you were eventually going to play, regardless if you missed on both these guys. So that's not ideal. I think the, the intriguing thing about this is if Casey Thompson was Auburn's choice, would it not have already happened? Would it not have already been a thing where we know that Casey Thompson and Auburn are going to be a, a, a match. I'm not saying they won't eventually still take him, but the longer this thing wears on, the visit was this past weekend. Okay, it's Thursday now. We're almost into the next weekend. If it was a fit, if it was a take for Auburn, would they not already have pulled the trigger? Would both sides not have already pulled the trigger? I think that's intriguing. The smoke is that Peyton Thorne has graduation this coming weekend at Michigan State, which is why there hasn't been any rumblings about him visiting just yet now again they're playing this very close to the vest we're just kind of putting two and two together with Auburn having no decision right now when it comes to the transfer portal and a quarterback and when you look at Michigan State's graduation dates and Peyton Thorne being up for graduation so that's how we see that right now so what does Peyton Thorne bring to the table in my mind brings a lot to the table we'll talk about that in a second make sure you subscribe make sure you follow me on Instagram make sure you follow me on Twitter at JD Pakel. listen we just we got to do it Okay, I understand you, you probably don't like that we plug the subscription thing a lot, but to be honest, it helps us do more of what you want to see. And so it's, it's something that we thank you for in advance. All right, so we'll leave it at that. What does Peyton Thorne bring to the table for Auburn? He brings experience and proven production. A two-year starter who's thrown 49 touchdowns, over 6,000 yards, 60% completion percentage. Translation, with Peyton Thorne, you know what you're getting. You're not guessing at what kind of player he is. He's got a two-year resume for you. On top of that, he's a proven leader, is a two-year captain at Michigan State. So anytime you go to the portal and add anybody, much less a quarterback, the question is always there. Hey, what kind of character are we introducing to the locker room? What kind of person are we introducing to this locker room? Because the person aspect, I would argue, is just as important as the player aspect when you're dealing with team chemistry in a situation that's as fragile as Auburn is with so many transfers and meeting the first year of a new staff. So Peyton Thorne, 
Who knows what happens if he goes to Auburn, but the people at Michigan State, man, they, they would follow him. He's two-year captain there. So I think that speaks volumes to the kind of addition he would be to that program. So I was talking to one of y'all via direct message on Twitter, and you posed a really good question around this quarterback situation. And the question was essentially, hey, why does it feel like we're just getting to pick here? This is an Auburn fan speaking. Why do we feel like we just get to kind of have our pick of Casey Thompson or Peyton Thorne? There's other schools that need quarterbacks. Florida's been sprinkled into this conversation just a little bit here and there, but it really feels like Auburn gets to pick who they want here. Why is that? Well, the first is I think Auburn has the most appealing situation. The scheme is up-tempo. It's RPO. It's quarterback-friendly, which we'll talk about here later in the show what quarterback-friendly entails. It's the most ideal landing spot. Now, you would hope there's some receiver play that gets elevated, whether it's via the portal or whether it's guys stepping up that are already on the roster. But where else would you go that's as ideal as an Auburn with the scheme and then the staff that's in place as well that has a track record working with quarterbacks? Florida, I think, is a great option in terms of, you know, probably the NIL availability there, the, the branding of being an SEC school the potential to compete for a job, but Florida also already brought in a transfer quarterback in that first window. So, you know, kind of take your pick there. You get to go to a place like Auburn, which has Hugh Freeze, Philip Montgomery, both strong track record working with quarterbacks. I think Auburn will get to pick here who they want. And so it's not a matter of Auburn is somehow, you know, just the, the only spot, but I think they're the best spot. And that's why I think you're getting to have this conversation around Casey Thompson versus Peyton Thorne. I think you get to pick which one. And to go on record here, I think Casey Thompson is more dynamic. So that's, for my money, why I would go with Casey Thompson. But for the reasons why Auburn, it sounds like, or you would imagine, is leaning towards Peyton Thorne, I think that's totally fair. And so to predict what I think will happen, I think Auburn will actually end up getting Peyton Thorne. I think he'll be your starting quarterback and that's how I think this whole thing's going to go. The timeline, who knows, man? It's the transfer portal. The transfer portal doesn't care about anybody's feelings or anybody's agenda. So with that being said, I do think Auburn will actually end up going with Peyton Thorne, and I think they will land him whenever that does happen. So we'll keep an eye on that, but that's how we feel about the situation at Auburn. Now, Auburn, they're going to have their work cut out for them this coming season. Going to have their work cut out for them. New staff. The SEC is brutal, but could they be a riser? Could they be a team that makes that leap in 2023, has a leap year, so to speak? I went through the five Power Five conferences and just picked out one team that I think is, is going to be in that position, at least, to make a huge jump forward in 2023. I want to preface it with this. I am not picking next year's TCU. I'm not predicting any of these teams to go play for the college football playoff. Heck, I'm not even picking any of these teams necessarily, to go and win their conference, though they could very much so be capable of that. I'm talking about teams that had a decent year last year, some not so decent year, in terms of improvement. That's what we're really trying to gauge here. So let's start with the Big Ten. It's no secret, I like Wisconsin. I like Wisconsin a whole heck of a lot. Luke Fickle knows how to win games. I'll be real with you all. I have a crush on Wisconsin. Let's not make it weird. Let's just keep this thing moving. For me, Wisconsin is all about the formula that's being tweaked in Madison. I trust the new formula they're going to go with. Because think about what Wisconsin has been historically. Three tight ends, playing with fullbacks. You have visions of neck rolls on the offense 
at the fullback and tight end position that comes to mind. Like, that's kind of the identity of what they've been previously. Now, the good news is, for Wisconsin fans, I don't think that identity is going anywhere. They're still going to be physical. They're still going to want to absolutely beat the ever-living snot out of you. That's going to be what they still want to do. However, like I said, the formula is being tweaked, so you take another element of the aerial assault that Phil Longo is bringing to the table, that Tanner Mordecai is bringing to the table. You went and hauled in quite a few transfer portal wide receivers. You bring that to the table. So now what does that mean? Physical identity plus wanting to sling the ball around the yard a fair amount. What does that mean? It means you have an opportunity to be balanced. And balanced football teams play complementary football, and they usually win a lot of football games. So last year, Wisconsin, they won six games in the regular season. Luke Fickle showed up, won a bowl game. To be real, he's undefeated at Wisconsin, never lost so far. I think the formula change works. I would not be surprised if we saw Wisconsin win somewhere around nine games in 2023. Keep in mind, too, the Big Ten West is wide open. It is as open as it gets. I think Wisconsin, they have a very real chance to make some noise in that side of the division and potentially make some, some, uh, some noise within that conference. So I like Wisconsin to be one of my riser teams and to be the team that makes the biggest leap, for my money at least, in the Big Ten. Make sure you subscribe. Make sure you follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Jody Pacal. Appreciate y'all rocking with us, okay? Listen, the SEC is a beast of a conference. No easy weeks in the SEC. Kirby Smart talked about it. It felt like every single press conference, whether they beat Kentucky on the road or whether they drubbed another team at home, every single week, it's tough in the SEC. So who do we have to look a little bit closer at for who could make a jump in 2023? Y'all, we're going right back to College Station, Texas. Jimbo Fisher and company, they won five games in 2022. But here's where I stand with Texas A&M. You can only keep talent down for so long. It's only a matter of time until talent eventually figures it out, puts it together, and then goes and does what talent is capable of doing. In short, Texas A&M has a lot of pieces. I think it's a matter of time before they put them together. Now, some of y'all are saying, whoa, 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 whoa. Were you not watching the transfer portal? And all the guys that jumped up out of College Station, Texas A&M, I hear you. I'm with it. I saw that. But here's the deal. Since 2020, Texas A&M has recruited the number six class, the number eight class, the number one class, and then last year, the number 15 class. In short, there's a lot of talent still on that roster. Guys that haven't transferred out. So, with 77% of the defensive production returning that allowed 23 points a game, sprinkling a quarterback that could be that guy in Connor Wegman. And then also you add Bobby Petrino to the mix, a little chiropractor protocol, just a little bit of a tweak here, tweak there, and bam, A&M's a new team. That could be the difference. So for A&M, five wins last year. Would not be surprised in the slightest if they made a two to three win jump and finished this upcoming season eight and four. I think that's very realistic. So Texas A&M is my jump team, my, my, my riser team, my, my leap year team in the SEC. We're going to stay in the Lone Star State. We're going to head to the Big 12. And we're going to make our way over to Lubbock, Texas. Somebody else saying Lubbock, Texas. Texas Tech, yep. The Red Raiders. Seven wins last year, plus a bowl win against SEC team Ole Miss. Now, they, they're not just all hype right now. Okay, because they had wins against Texas. Like I said, they had a win against Ole Miss. They bring back 75% of the production on the offensive side of the ball. Tyler Shuck, not Tyler Show, Tyler Shuck. I expect to be playing quarterback for them game one. 
Here's the thing, man. With Texas Tech, they will go to war for Joey McGuire. That's the kind of coach he is. That's the kind of culture they've cultivated over there. That's the kind of feel I get when I talk about Texas Tech and what I've seen from them on the field. And culture is a funny thing because we talk about it a lot with South Carolina, too. It's just tough to account for, man. You don't get to pull up a roster and look at how many guys they have with stars next to their name and say, yep, that's culture. No. Culture, I think, starts with the head coach and then is personified by the team. I think there's a lot of belief right now at Texas Tech. I think they're up to something. And I think we start to see some of those dividends in 2023. Like I said, they won seven games in 2022. Keep an eye on the Red Raiders. I would not be surprised if we see them compete at least for the Big 12 title. This is one of those teams that I think is very, very sneaky, kind of a sleeper team. We're not predicting it, but I'm just saying keep an eye on them in that Big 12 title race because TCU and Kansas State played for it a year ago. That should show you just how gladiator style that conference is. Also, keep an eye on that Week 2 game. Oregon comes to Lubbock, Texas. There's a lot of smoke around Oregon being a college football playoff team and Bo Nix saying run that back and Dan Lanning building a program. Got to go to Lubbock, Texas. And this Texas Tech team, I'll tell you what, they do not care about whatever's being said about you in the preseason. I'm very excited to see what goes down Week 2. Should be a great litmus test for Texas Tech. So, for me, they're my riser team within the Big 12. Put on the shades. Head out to the beach in Coral Gables. Miami is my riser in the ACC. Now, listen, they had five wins a season ago. I think it's starting to come together. You look at what they did through the portal, added some key pieces on the O-line. We'll probably play a freshman at right tackle in Francis Malagoa, who is a five-star kind of player. I think the pieces now are more in place in Coral Gables. And I'll also say this, let's leave Tyler Van Dyke alone. So many people dogging this dude and saying he's this, that, and the other. Leave Tyler Van Dyke alone because those same people that are down on him were keeping it zip lips the year before when he was throwing for 20-plus touchdowns and single-digit interceptions. He's proven he can play the position. Now you bring in a new OC in Shannon Dawson, a little more of an air raid approach offensively, some more power concepts, running the football. It's just a matter of time for me, at least, when it comes to Mario Cristobal and his identity and his persona, which is tough, no-nonsense, culture, discipline, detail-oriented, all those things that Miami, I think, was still getting acclimated to in 2022. You pair that with the fifth, number 15 portal class, I think the jump in record could be paralleled with the progress I think they're going to make from an identity standpoint under Mario Cristobal. Also, the ACC, I know there's a lot of good teams in there. North Carolina's making a run. Florida State's making a run. Clemson can never count them to be down. They weren't down last year. They won the whole conference. Could they repeat with a new quarterback? I'm just saying I think that's maybe a little bit more open than folks want to give credit for. And with the talent acquisition they had this past cycle as well, just keep an eye on Miami. I'm just saying that. They had five wins a year ago. Again, two to three wins. I would not be surprised if they were a seven, eight win football team and playing for a bowl game this coming season. I think you expect that if you're on Coral Gables. So this last one was not easy to do. God bless the Pac-12, man. Love the Pac-12. Grew up in Pac-12 country. Grew up going to USC games before we moved to the Southeast. Like I've sort of been all over during my life, but I really got to know college football on the West Coast. And it's hard to pick a team that's going to really make a big jump in 2023 
because I think the top of the Pac-12 is really pretty solid. I think USC, Utah, Oregon, Washington, your top four. I don't see those four really budging too much from the upper tier of that conference. So then you look across the rest of the conference and say, well, who could make a jump? Colorado, I feel like, is just inevitably going to make a jump. They won one game a season ago. Feels like low-hanging fruit, so we're not going to touch that right now. We've talked a lot about Colorado. But a team that I think could make a jump from three wins to being bowl eligible is the Arizona State Sun Devils. They're under new management. Coach Kenny Dillingham, I believe, is one of the youngest, if not the youngest, head coach in college football. And they got 27 new transfers. 27 new transfers. We talk a lot about Colorado and them flipping over the roster. How about Arizona State flipping over the roster? We won three games last year. Not good enough. Knock it all down. Rebuild the foundation. Let's roll. I think it's very realistic to assume they could go from three wins to six wins. Now, Drew Pine, you remember Drew Pine? He was at Notre Dame, hit the portal, now with Kenny Dillingham at Arizona State. I expect him to be your starting quarterback. I'm curious to see how quickly this all comes together. Because, again, I don't think there's going to be anybody making a play here for the Pac-12 title from Tempe, Arizona. But just keep an eye on Arizona State. Could be a subtle but pretty substantial improvement for them when it comes to win total. So my riser teams, for those of y'all keeping track at home on the bingo card, in the Big Ten we got Wisconsin, the SEC we got A&M, in the Big 12 we got Texas Tech, in the ACC we got Miami, and in the beautiful conference that is the Pac-12 we got Arizona State. Let me know your riser teams, too. Jump in the chat right now. Get at me. Who is the team that you're expecting to potentially take a big step forward in 2023? I'm not asking for your college football playoff teams. I don't want to hear about who's winning the conference title. Just who's a team that is going to make a big jump in the 2023 season? Shout out to everybody on podcast, too, man. I'm, I'm telling you, we love you on podcast. I wish we could involve you on the chat somehow. That would be like a perfect world, but... The reality is only YouTube has the chat feature, and we're not live on podcasts. That's why it's a podcast. So what can you do? All right. We got to do it here. It's never fun, but we got to do it. Twitter is a beautiful place. I love Twitter. Twitter is hilarious, but Twitter is also full of Twitter quarterbacks. Y'all know what I'm talking about. It's people that, whether they have a blue check mark or not next to their name, like to sort of uh, spout off takes about things that are X's and O's related in college football, and they like to break them down without having too much of an authority on those topics or having ever really played the game. And one most recent example we got of that was Hen and Hooker getting ready for the draft, and you have a lot of people going to the Twitter fingers. Keyboard's hot. Twitter fingers are dancing, saying, yeah, but he played in a quarterback-friendly offense. And that was kind of the voice that I would read those tweets in. Yeah, quarterback-friendly offense, that's not going to translate. And it was not enormously incorrect in saying it's a quarterback-friendly offense, but the shade that was being thrown, talking about translating to the NFL and essentially trying to discredit guys like Hendon Hooker and trying to discredit what Joe Milton or Nico Iamaliava could be getting done in 2023. So we just had to address it right here. Let's break down the offense just a little bit. Quarterback-friendly. Not an untrue statement. It is a quarterback-friendly offense. Because when you watch Tennessee on tape or you watch their broadcasts, they play with a lot of spacing. And spacing essentially can be summed up in when you watch where their wide receivers align on the screen. They're very much so spread out. And it's not uncommon to see the wide receivers lining up darn near on the sideline. Like they're trying to make the defense cover every single blade of grass. 
You get 53.3 yards of width to work with. Josh Heupel says, cool, we're going to take advantage of all of them. Now, why is that quarterback friendly? Well, it gives the wide receivers more real estate to work with. Again, the DB has to cover more space. In addition to that, more space means what? More room to get open and more space to throw the football. So if you're an NFL scout watching these guys get open, saying he's not fitting that in the window. Yeah, because Jalen Hyatt's super freaking fast and buddy playing corner or buddy playing slot corner or safety, whatever you want to call it, you just can't stick with him. So when that happens, it makes for nice throws and explosive plays and touchdowns. So the spacing piece of this is one of the reasons why people like to throw the term quarterback friendly around Tennessee's offense. The other piece of this, this is probably the the more well-known part of what Tennessee does. They go fast, up-tempo, no huddle, hurry up, whatever kind of label you want to throw on it. They're snapping the football right around every 20 seconds. So what does that do to a defense? Why is that quarterback friendly? A couple of things. One, the defense gets tired. It is hard to be in position when you are tired. It is hard to have all of your competitive juices at maximum level and all your attributes maxed out when you're huffing and puffing because Tennessee's running a whole heck of a lot of plays. The other thing that does to a defense, it is hard to be organized when the offense is going so quickly. You know what I'm saying. You wake up late, the alarm was supposed to go off 10 minutes ago and it didn't, and you're rushing around and you forgot your keys. Why? Because you're not organized. It's hard to think clearly when things are happening so quickly. Another advantage for the offense. This is perhaps the most unsaid piece of this when it comes to Tennessee going so quickly. As a defense man, you're stuck. What I mean by you're stuck, I mean you're stuck in that personnel grouping until you either call timeout or Tennessee decides to substitute. So for Tennessee, if we run a play that we like and we see that you have too many big dudes on the field, maybe you have an extra backer in there or extra defensive lineman in there to try to stop the run. Well, guess what happens? We go up tempo and that big boy has to stay on the field. And then we can call some more vertical plays because you have less players to defend what we like. Okay. So again, you you're either getting just absolutely exhausted or you have to call timeout because you're prisoner to what Tennessee wants to do offensively at that point in time, the beautiful part of the up tempo offense. Okay. So all of these make for better execution for the offense. Really quickly though, shout out to everybody watching live. Make sure you're subscribed to the On3 YouTube channel. Make sure you're following me on Twitter and Instagram, at JD Pacquiao. Tennessee fans, we love y'all and appreciate y'all for that. So as I was saying, all of these elements make for a higher percentage of execution for the quarterback, but also here's why they say quarterback friendly for the up-tempo piece. It makes for an easier picture because you don't get the luxury of disguising blitzes and trying to misalign guys and trying to be tricky with your defense when we're going so quickly. So as a quarterback, when you can't be tricky with your defense, I can just process what I see. I can kind of take it at face value. It's an easier picture for me to read pre-snap. I don't have to worry about that corner blitzing more likely than not because you don't have time to get that signal in or you don't have that check necessarily built in when we're going up tempo. Just not a good way to live. You can do it, but it's a little bit risky. And again, easier picture for us to diagnose as the offense. Now, Tennessee also, for all of the branding around them being potent and up-tempo and air it out and all the stats that Hendon Hooker put together and Jalen Hyatt, I think, just scored another touchdown in Knoxville against Alabama. They run the football. That's what Tennessee does, man. They're a run-first operation. They ran the ball 55% of the time last year. 
They want to pound the rock. That's the other thing that comes into Tennessee being a quarterback-friendly offense. When you run the football effectively, then the defense has to commit more resources. Tennessee fans are not going to like hearing this, but that's why Georgia was able to beat Tennessee because Georgia was able to, one, just play more honest in the trenches. They didn't have to commit extra resources. They were able to win the line of scrimmage. And then on the back end, they had guys that could have a better percentage chance of hanging with those receivers at Tennessee. So what I'm trying to tell you is, as a quarterback, if we're running the ball well, those safeties and those other defenders on the back end, then they have to start deciding, okay, do we want to play the pass or play the run? The D.C. is probably saying, listen, if we lose, it's not going to be because they ran for 300 yards on us. You better go help in that run game. So the safety says, all right, I'll go help them out, coach. And then Joe Milton or Hendon Hooker or whoever's back there starts rubbing their hands together and saying, all right, you want to come play in the box? That's fine, but look behind you. A lot of green grass. A lot of green grass for my guys to go and make some plays for. So running the football also factors into Tennessee being a quarterback-friendly system. Okay, so spacing, pace, they pound the rock. All three things that make for quarterback friendly. The NFL shade comes from, well, listen, in, in the NFL game, the hashes are different, right? Hashes are closer together. So when you line up on the right or the left hash, it's essentially the middle of the field. And so NFL scouts or, or NFL commentators, rather, are saying it's not going to translate because that offense doesn't work in the NFL. You don't get plays like that in the NFL. Okay, I hear you. I don't even think that's untrue. But what I would say is, it doesn't mean that you still can't execute at the position. Like guys being open in this offense, that's great. It's what you would dial up if you're calling plays. I don't think you should penalize Tennessee quarterbacks because they play in an offense where guys get open. I also want to make sure that we're not docking these guys because I don't think this translates to any less ability from these quarterbacks. You still got to hit open receivers. You still have to get us in the right play. And I'll tell you what, when you're snapping the ball every 20 seconds, you better have your head on a swivel. You better be dialed into what we're doing offensively. You better be dialed into what the defense is doing because with how quickly we're going, the margin for error starts to shrink. So to insinuate that just because of the offense these guys are playing in, that they don't have the ability of some of these other guys, I just think it's untrue. So Twitter quarterbacks, the ball is now in your court to respond. Tennessee's offense is, in fact, quarterback-friendly, but you should not think any less of these Tennessee quarterbacks for playing in it. So that's that. Mic drop really quick on that. Now, we're about to get to your questions here in just a second. Want to talk about it? So get in the chat right now. Nick Brake, holding it down, keeper of the queue. Let us know your questions. Anything college football-related, anything not college football-related as well, honestly. Want to hear from y'all. Uh, seen the hashtag AskJD in there a couple of times. We appreciate that. That's great, but also not mandatory. Before we get into that, though, got a couple of thoughts on this college football playoff format because that has essentially been released. It's going to be here in 2024. You know my feelings on expansion, so we're not going to dive into that too deeply. The thing that stood out to me when I looked at this college football playoff setup, only having the first round of these games at home is interesting. Not against it, but I think it's interesting. Because if I'm one of those teams that gets a buy, one of those one through four seeds, I'm saying, okay, so I'm one of the top four teams in college football. I did my thing during the regular season, and I get a buy, and that's it. I'm just curious to see how long it takes for us to move the second round of these games to having home field advantage. Because when we get a semifinal game or 
any kind of college football playoff game in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, or in Athens, Georgia, and have it be past the first round, that would be exciting. I think that's a matter of time before that happens. So something to keep an eye on. We'll talk about that college football playoff format if y'all want to, honestly, as we move on here. But just curious to see if we don't see a little bit of a tweak here in the next couple of years with home field advantage existing in other rounds, not just the first round of the college football playoff. So that's our thoughts on that. All right. Now's the time. Got to get to y'all's questions, thoughts, and concerns around the beautiful thing that is college football. So to do that, you know the drill. Pride of Owensboro, Kentucky. Bill's Mafia member. Nick, heavy lifter break. Nick, how we doing? Good man. JD, um, I've got a question for you. Hit me. I'm going to start the questions. I'll get to everyone's, uh, don't worry. But I was going to ask, uh, you're the huge Hinden Hooker guy. Does it worry you that he's already 25? You know, how can, um, that's, a, that's a good he's question. Not a young, he's not a young NFL quarterback. That's a good question. I don't get enormously worried about that because 25 is, is obviously still young-ish. Um, would you like him to be younger? Definitely, because, I mean, in that way, you just have a, a longer shelf life. I think there's two sides of it. One, he's going to be more mature than the average bear. He's seen more. He's lived longer. He's probably a little bit more on the mature side of things. So I know when I hand him his first NFL contract, it's, I feel a little bit better about how he's going to utilize that money as opposed to my man who's 22 years old and he just got some money and now life is good. Like, I'm not throwing shade at anybody. That's just the way that I feel about it. Um, it doesn't overly concern me. Is it... Yeah, I think that's just the best way to say it. doesn't overly concern me. would like him to be younger, but it's not a reason why I wouldn't draft him. I, I don't think if Hendon Hooker were to be healthy and not sustain the injury, I think he would have been a first-round pick, and I don't yeah. think the age would have, would have kept him from that, Nick. Man, I'm, I'm going to tell you, I was shocked. I'm, I know you're not an NFL guy. I was shocked when the Titans picked Will Levis instead of Hooker. I thought it was just meant to be. Uh, but anyway, uh, we'll get to everyone else's questions. Um First one, I, I love this question. We'll kind of go from the most recent wake our way to the old ones. Uh, Kay, who is a frequent viewer, uh, which new conference team will have the better year? I love that question. That's a very good question. So new conference team, I'm assuming, is relating to the Big 12? Yes. Okay. Big 12 or, or AAC, you know, or North AAC. Texas, That's uh, very FAU fair. going there. You know, Nick, a team that I almost put on there as one of the risers was UCF. I love John Rice Plumley. I love Gus Malzahn. They're now recruiting with some branding power with the state of Florida behind them as one of the Power Five teams. Like, I think they're a team that probably has a higher ceiling as we go on and they get into that recruiting base a little more heavily. But I'm telling you, man, I think UCF could make some noise. I'm excited to watch them. BYU is also a team that I'm watching. So now I'm just kind of naming all the Big 12 teams. But if I had to pick one there, I'm saying UCF because of what they have at quarterback and the maturation of John Rice Plumley and Gus Malzahn's offense. I think that's a really good marriage. And I uh, think they'll take a next step this coming season. Man, H-Town Creole always has to come for me. Have you ever heard of Kurt Warner? I have heard of Kurt Warner. Dang, that's a man. one in a million. Dang, they're coming after you. One dude. in a million, my friend. Would you give that movie, by the way, the Kurt Warner? Oh, movie? I couldn't stand the movie. Couldn't stand it. It was the most cliche movie I've ever seen. Yeah, great um, story. Great story. Maybe, yeah. maybe could have put a little bit more into that budget. Well, his story you is know? such a Hollywood story that it doesn't even make for a good movie. You know, that's like, true. The real version is better. It's so. one of those. It's one of those where you're like, man, they got to make that a movie. And yeah. If, and if if they had come to somebody with that script, it would have got thrown away. It's like, yeah. Eh, if you're gonna execute it that way, maybe we should have thrown away that script. Precisely. Bygones well, be bygones. Um, another frequent uh, viewer, Briley, JD, for question time, if the Heisman voters could only nominate defensive players, who are your top three hopefuls for the year? Ooh, 
This is a good question right here, Nick. This is a very good question. If they could only nominate defensive players, who are we looking at? Harold Perkins, I think, is going to get a lot of preseason buzz just because of what he does with wreaking havoc and, and how he's going to play all over the field for LSU. So I think Harold Perkins is absolutely on that list. I'm trying to think who else is on here, Nick. Um, let's see. I think Abdul Carter is another havoc wreaker, someone that we were really high on over here, Nick, with uh, what we did with him in the industry rankings. Charles Power was much higher than the rest of the industry when he came out of high school, whereas number 11 at Penn State. Say it all the time on here, but you don't get to wear sticks on your jersey at Penn State and be a linebacker if you're not that guy. And he was that guy as a freshman. So I got Harold Perkins, got Abdul Carter. Nick, I've been high on this guy for a minute. I really think Desan McCullough is going to be a dude. Mm -hmm. I, I really yeah. do. I really, I know, I know that he's still in a position battle right now at Oklahoma to be that starting cheetah, mm -hmm. but just <laughs> the length and the speed, him playing at Brent Venable's defense is going to get to do a lot. So Tassan McCullough, Harold Perkins, Abdul Carter, those are the three that I'll, I'll name right now. Uh, I would also keep an eye on Billy Bowman if we're staying in Oklahoma. I think he's going to be a, the guy, a guy that has a, an all-Big 12 season. Uh, one more for you, Nick. They asked for three. I'll throw one more in there. How about JT Tuimaloao? That's who I was going to say. Freak yeah, show. That, yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't remember how to say his last name, so I'm glad you said it. Dude, he, he reeked havoc against Penn State. He's a guy that I think is going to have to be in that conversation, especially if Ohio State does what we all think they could do. So those three guys, plus JT Tuimaloao, and, uh, you know, Billy Bowman's probably not a Heisman guy, but just came to mind when we talked about Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. So Tuimaloao, Desan McCullough, Harold Perkins, Abdul Carter. We'll, Abdul Carter. Uh, we'll, we'll go for a, a fave four there if we're just nominating yeah. defensive players. We'll Great it. question, though. We'll take it. Um, this next question kind of came towards the beginning of the show and now as i okay i found it sorry guys uh cory williams do you think georgia finally has a 1000 yard receiver this season good question mm -hmm. very good question so georgia's just so balanced and they spread the football around so much a season ago to where that wasn't something that we saw you know nick i'll say this i don't know how many catches he'll get because of just how much attention he's going to get and other guys benefiting from it uh brock bowers has to be at the top of the list for Georgia if you're going to pick a 1,000-yard receiver. I think you feel a little bit more confident with what Carson Beck could do downfield and if there's a, a little more of a, a tendency to, to stretch the ball vertically with him at quarterback. And I, I hesitate to talk too much about that because I worry about us getting into Stetson Bennett, uh, Stetson Bennett slander, and we never want to do that on the show. Yeah. But, uh, no, I, I think Carson Beck and Brock Bowers could be a dynamic connection. If I had to pick a 1K yard receiver for Georgia this year, it'd be Brock Bowers. Uh, they're just going to be so balanced, and they're going to spread the ball out to so many guys. I just I wonder if it'll happen this year. Uh, so I'll, I'll lean towards doesn't happen this year, not because Georgia doesn't have some dominant receivers. Just 1,000 yards is hard to do, and they have so many guys that can catch the rock. But if we are picking someone, we're picking Brock Bowers. Okay. Uh, J.D., uh, lots of people right now talking about Alabama in the chat. Love um, it. I have never seen this sentence in my life. Uh, hot dog water says, <laughs> I'd be pleased if Bama was a seven-win team this year. And then, um, you know, everyone's talking all down on Nick Saban, which is always a dangerous bet. But that goes to my next question. Randall Daugherty, uh, do you think Tennessee has a better chance of beating Bama on the road or Georgia at home? It feels like an easy, you know, answer, but then you kind of give it a little thought. Yeah, you know, 
Bama on the road has to be your answer here. And I think we mm-hmm. got some Bama slander, uh, Nick, for the, the good folks in Auburn, Alabama that are tuned in here with us talking about their quarterback <laughs> market. So fair, more, more power to y'all. Um, I think Tennessee probably has a better chance of beating Bama. I mean, Nick, we just we really don't know what they're going to look like offensively. I mean, we kind of have a gauge for what they could look like. We think we know what they might look like at the quarterback position. But Tyler Buckner, eh, good, not great at Notre Dame. He's familiar in the system. He's Tom Reese's guy, but like, is he someone that really scares you? Jalen Milrow, I mean, lackluster in his one start against Texas A&M. Ty Simpson, we don't really know anything about him, but we saw him in the spring game. Like, none of those guys strike fear the way that Bryce Young did a season ago. And this team last year was extremely dependent on Bryce Young to will them to victory a couple of times. So seven wins for Bama, I think, is extremely irresponsible. I would not touch that with a 35-foot pole. But even so, if I'm picking for Tennessee, who I like them to have a better chance at beating, Bama and Georgia, I mean, I I 1,000% lean Bama on the road opposed to Georgia at home. But hopefully Mm -hmm. they get to see one of those in person. That would be a blast. Yeah. Maybe both. We'll see. Why not both? both. Um, Kay, uh, while you were talking – um, transfers and then all the stuff with Auburn. TJ Finley to Michigan State, wouldn't that be a old switcheroo? That would be a switcheroo. That would definitely be a switcheroo. I'm just curious because I think Michigan State likes who they have in that quarterback room. There's some rumblings as yeah. to maybe that being the reason why Peyton Thorne left. TJ Finley, man, I would love to see him go G5. I really would. I would love to see him go G5, tear it up, and then this time next year have a conversation about him ending up on an NFL roster somewhere. That would be my, my situation. I'd love for him because – I mean, he, he faced a lot of critics when he was yes. at Auburn, and a lot of them are warranted, to be fair. Like, didn't necessarily light it up, but the fact that he still came back to Auburn, went through spring practice, I have tremendous respect for that. So did he handle it perfectly? No, of course not. None of us do. But mm-hmm. I, I love that he uh, at least fought for his job and went through spring practice. But, no, I, I would not bet him to go to Michigan State but would love to see him end up at the G5 for yeah. TJ Finley. Yeah, I think in this is because I used to cover back in college uh, Conference USA football all the time. Um, UAB, who is now in the AAC, would be like the best fit for a TJ Finley. Hey. It'd be really cool. Just um, down the road. So I think a G5 school, yeah. Yeah, it would it would make sense, too. I didn't even think about the Alabama thing. Uh, one final question. Briley, this isn't our last one, but trying to throw fire into our friendship. How do we get the NCAA to stop making rules to shorten the game that we look forward to all year? It's a fair question, but J.D. and I have different opinions on um, uh, yeah, we do have different opinions on that. And that's okay. That's all right. Yeah. That's all right. Do we, do we want to hash this out a little bit, Nick? We we can if you want to, but I mean I I'll, I am so, like we have what 160 people <laughs> watching and everyone's gonna be against me here. So yeah, that that, that is true. So we, we won't choose think, violence yeah. necessarily. Uh, just to give a thought anything, on though. it. Just yeah. to give a thought on it. My thing is, I, I think Bradley makes a great point. We only get 12 a year for a regular season, and shortening them doesn't sound appealing. My thing is, and Nick, you might even agree with this, I don't think college football is going to capture this like drastically new fan base by them shortening games. No. Like, if you're not watching college football right now, that's fine, but you're not going to say, oh, they're, they're, now, uh, they're not stopping the clock, so the games will be shorter. Yeah, I actually, my, my Saturday opened up. Like, I think NFL fans are NFL fans, college football fans are college football fans. There's definitely some overlap in that Venn diagram, but I, just, I don't see the play here as much, Nick. Am I, am I off base here? You're not. You're not, but... And no one in this chat will agree with me because you 
have said it best, you know, everyone in here in May are diehard college football fans. But I'm just thinking like casual fans, like my mom uh, has always said she'd love to watch more college football, but it's our whole Saturday down the drain for one game, um, which obviously we'd say is a Saturday well spent. But, um, <laughs> you know, that's what I'm thinking. I think maybe the casual fan, maybe ratings would be better, but you've got to appeal to your diehards before you address casuals. That's so. That's you know, fair, man. Why not just keep it how it is? Diehards um, eat first. Plus, they're not going to shorten anything. They're just going to do it where they can have more commercials. So. There it is. And we all know that. That's the only thing we really should change is they should take out a break or two uh, per quarter. Uh, but I think this is a really good fun fact from Mike Gilbert. Tyler Buckner, as a junior in high school, was number one in the country for total yardage. Over 7,500 7, yards, J.D. Lit it up. What's he going to be at Alabama? Lit it up. So to be fair, for some context, played at a smaller school yeah. in the San Diego area. So it wasn't like he was necessarily playing against <laughs> like four and five star talent every single week. But still, I mean, Tyler Buckner to lead the country in total yardage, that's still something to be said for. So the guy can play some ball now. He's done it at Notre Dame. He showed you in the bowl game. He's a guy for you. I'm just curious if he's going to make Alabama a wildly more, you know, concerning opponent for teams week in and week out. But again, I'm, I'm not saying Bama is not still Bama. Do not get it twisted. I'm just saying I am holding my breath as to who starts at quarterback and what they bring to the table here, Nick. We got one more question for us to get we out We have here? one more. We'll get back on it. topic. Um, this question to end the show is from Jason. Um, I think they're a Gators fan. Why hasn't Florida reached out to any quarterback? Um, Billy has so many question marks, and it's a Florida Gator native. That's kind of a or Florida Gator native. Sorry. The good people in Gainesville. No, Nick, that's a great question. I appreciate you teeing it up. Appreciate you holding down the chat. Uh, same time Tuesday? Same time Tuesday. Beautiful. We'll do it again Tuesday, 10 a.m. Central, 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen, this is a very valid question for the Florida Gators. Coach Billy Napier, Nick said it from the chat. There's some question marks around him with this quarterback situation. Now, I have tried to be out as in front of this as, as humanly possible. Um, it's been one year. It's been one year in a spring football season. The microscope is locked in in Gainesville, so it's very difficult for us to not live moment to moment with Billy Napier. When it comes to the quarterback position, I think a lot of it's been hush-hush, and I think a lot of it's been hush-hush for a reason. Um, I'm speculating here, but I think they are in the market. If they find a guy they like and like enough to throw into battle with a Grammers or a Jack Miller, I think I'm watching the Auburn situation very, very closely if I'm a Florida Gator fan because – I think Auburn has the pick between Peyton Thorne and Casey Thompson. And I think whichever one of those guys ends up being on the outside looking in. If I'm Florida, I at least have a conversation. I at least reach out, completely honest. We can't promise you anything when it comes to playing time, but we think you're better than what we have in-house right now. That's the way that I would lean. I think Casey Thompson or Peyton Thorne is an upgrade and the most talented guy in that room if they step into Gainesville tomorrow. So with that being said, we've also talked about this. If you don't like a Casey Thompson or a Peyton Thorne for your team, if you feel like they're not going to give you a chance to be substantially better, that's fine. That is completely fine because you know what? In 2023, whoever plays starting quarterback for the Florida Gators, whoever's QB1, as we like to say, they're going to be, I believe, a little bit more of a game manager. There's a, there's a negative connotation to it. It's not a negative term I'm trying to throw around here. I just mean you're going to hand the ball to Trevor Etienne, 
You're going to hand the ball to Montreal Johnson. You're going to watch them run for some yards. And then guess what? When those safeties creep up, kind of that key phrase we've kind of coined around here, when the safeties creep up, when there's some real estate to throw to, Ricky Pearsall, go get open. Andy Jean, go get open. Whoever it is, whoever goes and gets open for you, hit that shot. I don't need you to be Bryce Young. I don't need you to be C.J. Stroud and just totally be the engine behind the offense. Hit the open shot. So Graham Mertz and Jack Miller, I think, are both capable of that. Otherwise, they wouldn't be at Florida. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think you probably should go after somebody. That would just be my feel when it comes to the Florida Gator quarterback room. So the soap opera that is the transfer portal will continue to roll on. All eyes of the nation are on Auburn, Alabama to see if we do end up getting somebody, either Casey Thompson or Peyton Thorne, to end up being a starting quarterback. Again, I've said it. I've gone on record. I think Peyton Thorne will end up being their starting quarterback. While I would probably lean towards taking Casey Thompson from my program, but Hugh Freeze makes a whole lot of money to coach football, and I think he's got a pretty good feeling what's best for his football team. Listen, we're back on the air live on Tuesday, 10 a.m. Central, 11 a.m. Eastern. If you want to make sure that you don't miss when we do go live, hit the bell on this channel. You can also find us on podcast, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Type in The Hard Count with J.D. Pickell in that search bar. You'll find us. It'll be a good time, all right? So for everybody tuning in here, we appreciate y'all. We love y'all. Nick, Brake, Lifting Heavy, this is your college football show, all right? We're going to keep this party rolling. We will see y'all next time. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. 18- plus.